Fiona, have I spoke to you before? I'm sure, no, on the radio, I think. Not on the radio. I, dro I dropped, dropped you a message this morning in terms of the um, app. I see, I see, I see, yeah. Okay, How, well, how, how's it going? Not too bad. I think yeah. uh, I had a day in London with work, which is always a very long day. So I mm. just kind of went, right, let's just go with it and accept that, yeah, the class wasn't going to happen. The evening bit wasn't going to happen. So I walked through the door at five past seven. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's got a, yeah, I think of trying to fit everything in is going to be, is always a, fitting everything in is always the thing that is a problematic with Turtle. People think you've got to do everything and it overwhelms everyone. Next right? week, I think it's going to be interesting because I fly to Belfast on Sunday, fly back Tuesday, London Thursday. Wednesday, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fit about five workouts on Wednesday now, and you'll be right. <laughs> no, please don't do that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a plan. Doctor, we'll go over that as well. I'm sure we'll, a lot of people are, will have similar things. But uh, welcome, Fiona. Um, give Vanessa G away in LA with the sunglasses on. Get out. <laughs> um, okay, I think, Dr. P, I think we can start. I think um, whoever's going to join will join now. So, first of all, I think you should introduce yourself, Dr. P. Um, hey, guys. And first and foremost, it's a pleasure to meet you all virtually. Um, <clears throat> I've been with Turtle now since pretty much the inception, offering nutrition advice, um, stuff bits around training, um, and also how to grow an epic beard, which isn't really useful for most of our members, but, you know, I try my best. Uh, my background is um, I've got an undergraduate degree in sports health, exercise and nutrition, um, postgraduate degrees in sports injury, which I don't really shout about too much because it's not really my passion. Uh, postgraduate in sports and exercise nutrition, PhD in healthcare sciences. And that is pretty much my academic summary Nailed outside of that, I've got my own little clinic up in Leeds and consult with Turtle and a few other bits and pieces as well. Um, as a on a personal level, I am um competitive ultra runner, not very competitive, but you know, I do them, try not to suffer too much. Powerlifter, love my sports, love my strength sports, come from a very bodybuilding bro background, kind of chicken and rice, seven meals a day type background as well. And then saw the light of flexible dieting and realizing that it is possible to be in shape, fit, healthy, and all of that stuff without feeling that you live need to live like a uh, monk slash Spartan or whatever it is, 24 hours a day. And that it is okay to drink the occasional rum, as anyone who knows me long term from this will know, and still and still get in shape. Not, you know, um, pirate reference from earlier on as well. And the message is there. So, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much me. Um, I don't really have any kind of specific specialism within nutrition. Um, as I, when I first started, it was very much around the kind of metabolism, how the body works, how the body fuels itself. And that's really helps with some of the dispelling of myths around, you know, carbs make you fat and all of this kind of stuff and the roles and functions of protein in the body. But as my um, career has developed in a sort of more coaching sense, it's more sort of transferred over into kind of more of the behavioral aspects, why people behave the way they behave, both in terms of the neurophysiology, so the stuff that goes on in the noggin, and also kind of, you know, how we interact with our environment and stuff as well, and the influence, the um, influence that that sort of thing has. So, yeah, I think, um, I think that's me. If Scott, if there's anything else that you think I've missed there about me that you want to add, because I don't like talking about myself in that sense too much. Um, bang yeah. on, bang on. Yeah, just that you've been with us since pretty much the start and been... Turtle, maybe from the outside, may seem 
influencer based, but it's expert led, just to be clear. <laughs> so everything is expert led and you with a lot of research. So that's what you can expect from Dr. P is a noble, no BS approach to any questions. So the system we're going to do today is you don't have to talk, you do in the comments, go around, ask you really what your biggest struggle is when it comes to nutrition. If you don't know what to say about that, is there any question you have about anything related to nutrition? It could be a myth you've heard, something you're confused about, no question is stupid, right? I'm going to get this basis going. And I think Dr. P, I'm going to write them all down. And then after we go around everyone or whoever many want to do it, we will, Dr. P, you can see the connect, the themes and we can break it down, right? Works Happy days. Well, Michelle, your top left for me, so we can start with you, I think. Is there anything you majorly struggle with nutrition? Anything you want answered with Dr. P, who's got all the knowledge? Back into it, getting back into the Christmas challenge. So yeah. I, um, I kind of fell off the wagon tracking for a while. Yeah. Um, but what I did learn for being on it for such a long time was that I did manage to kind of maintain for a while because I'd learned, because I'd tracked for so long, I'd learned, um, you know, portion sizing and that kind of thing. Um, but maybe um, consistency. So I guess that's probably a, a struggle for me. Um, I, I'd lost quite a bit of weight over a, a stretch of time. And then um, I think then I probably became a bit slack at, um, uh, tracking everything so now I'm really on it again trying to track you know absolutely everything and because it's amazing what you probably if you don't track a tiny bit those little bits probably add up quite a bit don't they 100% 100% so consistency and just a question on that um, what do you think def defines not being consistent then um, probably consistency in tracking yeah and, and being like um, consistent with weighing and stuff. So um, I guess I could guess track a lot. And then, I mean, that's not being very accurate and then not giving you a clear picture. Yeah. But remember, if you do guess track in the app, the app will do the hard work, background work for you. It'll try and get an estimate that's accurate. But at the same time, it will tell you at the end of the week if you are, how many foods you have guessed tracked, right? How many calories have been guessed? It's good. Um, what, like yeah. on an average? Yeah, well, let's say that you've consumed 20,000 calories and you've guest-tracked 4,500 of them. And really, when we look at that, that 4,500 guests could be actually 7,000 consumed. It could be 2,000 consumed. But really, where is the margin of error? And if the margin of error is rather big, then... Yeah, mine's not too bad. Okay. But like I say, when, I, um, when I'm on it, I'm really on it. And when I'm not, I'm... Okay, all or nothing, basically, yeah. yeah. Okay, happy days. All right, Michelle, thanks for that. Thank uh, Paul, I'll have the notes for you and I'll share it with you as well. Um, Jess Closer, what about you? Globe, 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 so. I don't know, you put me on the spot. <laughs> hey, school time. Um, no, I've had enough school lately. So, like, buying proteins online, you've got so yeah. many different types, and I only ever buy the same type, but you've got, like, the different eye I always bought Ness, what do we have in the cupboard? Concentrate, isolate. Yeah. Isolate. You've got so many, and some it's of them free. have got really complicated words and letter combinations. And I'm yeah. like, where well, is a minefield? Okay. So clarity on protein powders and yeah. in general. Okay. 
That's so good. when I'm browsing, I know what I'm looking at slash what I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah. 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 Happy Thank days. You. Okay. Thanks, Jess. Um, bleed in. Bleed to everyone else. Bleed in means wolf in Welsh. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I didn't really come prepared with a question, but thinking about it, I actually have two, if that's yeah, all right. That's fine. The, the first one would be, I don't know if it's nutrition really, can you go to maintenance when you still have fat to lose and still lose the fat? Or is it better to stay on fat loss before moving to maintenance? That's one. So can you go and to maintenance and still lose fat, you're saying, yeah? Yeah. But, like, how would you balance that with your nutrition and, tra- like, does it affect okay. the other training and everything? And the second one is about creatine. Should you start – take? can you take creatine – now, if you're moving more into strength training, or can you just take it regardless of the training you do? Okay, yeah. So, does it matter? Okay, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Kind of word vomited. <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. Good questions. Thanks, Bleeding. Yeah. Um, nice one. Emma Baines. Any questions? Any struggles? Any, any niggly thing? Any... Nothing. I've had a lot of conversations with Dr. P on the phone, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's taught me a lot as well. And uh, so I'm just going to listen in for now. I've just, I've got some fights going on in the other room. So I've just had to break the physical fight. So oh, no. <laughs> I keep on here on that as well. Yeah. All right, sound, sound, sound. I'm still listening. I'm still listening. Yeah, no props, no props. Um, Fiona. Do you have anything you want to ask or any struggles that you really want to try and get more clarity on? I guess uh, it's when you're really starting on Sunday, Monday, it's all very still new. I think my only observation from tracking so far is I do seem to struggle getting to the carb or fat limit for each day. Um, I might hit one, might hit the other, but so trying to find that, but I'm also dairy free because I'm lactose intolerant. So trying to find mm-hmm. alternatives. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. There. Does the ratios matter? Do you have to max out on your carbs and fat, all that stuff? Yeah. yeah. For sure. Dr. P will have a great answer for that. Um, thanks, Fiona. Um, Sophie LinkedIn. You can talk, mate. I've seen you commenting on a few things recently. Rage Gondon. so i do um so i think for me it's just a case of i live on my own so mostly it's just me so i get really bored with the food that i eat so i end up i've got loads of supplements um and just like anything i can do to try and like some alternatives so i have been doing soups and things but again it's really boring because i end up eating the same thing five days in a row and even if I freeze stuff it's just I'm just getting really bored of things and I know I'm not eating enough fruit and veg and I've been really poorly for so long and I know that's not good so just yeah. anything like that <laughs> okay happy days I got you I got you Dr P's got you as well better on Dr P it's mine again um thanks Sophie Hayley are you there I can see you if you've got a question any struggles you want to get answered by the doctor uh, yeah, so my struggle has actually come this week uh, with my increase in movement and my inability to stop eating anything that is not <laughs> pinned down to the floor, wall, or ceiling. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you've your movements gone up by how much? Yeah. So like I've done all of the workouts, whereas before right. I just used to go for a walk. So you've I done, done every day. Workout, actually, yeah, not but not today. Okay, and that's caused your hunger to skyrocket. Yeah, and the control. There is just no control at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. It makes sense. And also another question as well. Um, yeah. I know that um, fat and carbs can be interchanged. Is that gram for gram can be interchanged? Calorie for calorie wise, not gram for gram. But yeah, we don't. Uh, yeah, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, expl- I'll explain that. Yeah, I think I understand that, that yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, fat, carbs, interchange. Nice one. Thanks, Hayley. Um, Mel, what are you saying? Um, um, sorry, I was just getting um, a biscuit into my uh, yogurt. It's <laughs> <Right. laughs> my little treat. <laughs> um, <Nice>. um, <laughs> um, no, I think I'm all right. I'm, I think um, probably just on the back of what Jess was saying, I think it was Jess that said it about um, protein. I'm kind of looking at supplements like the EAAs, is it? that um, yeah. um, From Monday's travel, yeah. Alex, yeah. Yes, yes. So I was just looking at that and then I was thinking, God, are they all the same? Is there something I need to look for? Is it just quite a clean? Are they, you know, they all like they've got different sort of. Do you have to take a thousand supplements, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I am, I am plant-based. So I do take quite a few different vitamins anyway, but, um, but yeah, that's all. But I ain't really got anything else. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Supplement seems to be one we covered, Dr. Pia, with the main supplements and stuff like that. That'd be good. Um, Kirsten, what about you? Hello. Hello. Um, I don't think I have a particular question, but um, I think I've noticed that what I'm really struggling with is seeing foods as like either good or bad, and I can't really move out of that mindset. It's either something that I should sort of restrict, or uh, not necessarily restrict, but limit myself a wee bit, or uh, I don't know, I've never really picked up on it until I started tracking that there were certain foods that were more difficult for me to allow myself. So maybe, okay. maybe that. Yeah, for sure. That's a great mm-hmm. question. Good question. Um, Vanessa, G, can uh, anything you want to say from LA? Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask, Paul, I'm not talking about from a diet weight loss point of view, mm-hmm. but what or if there are benefits in terms of spell repair and stuff from intermittent fasting? Great question. Really good question. Very. What was the first part? Benefits from intermittent fasting for what? Long longevity. Health, longevity. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Very. Longevity. It's a very Joe Rogan question. That if anyone's yeah. seen his podcast. Yeah. I've just watched a program with um, Chris Hemsworth, Limitless, and they did a whole thing on like a four-day fast. And the long-term health benefits. So I'm not. I'm not talking about from a you know macros weight loss point. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. we can we can discuss. Yeah, there's 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 some interesting things on that, but I'll I'll hopefully put some people's minds at ease if that's freaking them out that they're not going to live as long if they don't fast because yeah. there's no evidence for that. But I'll get into that in some detail if people want to get me get deep down and dirty in the physiology of it. I'll explain all that kind of stuff. Nice one, Doctor P. Great question, Vanessa G. Um, oh, Sarah K. Just left the chair. We'll come back to you if you come back in the chair. Uh, Ruth. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, I didn't have a question before coming here, but I've just thought that um, I occasionally get low blood sugar. I'd say probably maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, usually sort of 
if it's going to happen, it'll be mid-afternoon. Um, but I've, I haven't been able to find any, because it's not sort of frequent enough, I've not been able to find any patterns or like particular food triggers. Um, but I'd be interested to hear if there was okay. anything yep. you thought of avoiding or bringing in or, or t- timings or anything like that. Yeah, good question. I think it cover blood sugar as well in general and what that even means. And so, like, you know, a lot of scare things out there with about blood sugar levels. Um, Christina? Hi. Hello. Mine is on veg. Does it matter if you eat frozen veg or fresh veg? That's a really good question. Because mm, I don't really... I'll eat salad... But veg is always frozen, so you don't have time to prep it. Mm. Okay. Sorted. That's in I, the books. I have answers. He answers. And um, Sarah Key, I know you've got a baby there, but have you got any uh, questions or struggles? If he doesn't start <laughs> crying, yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I'd say probably my big struggle is cravings. cravings. Um, with this little man, I don't tend to get very good sleep. Mm. <laughs> um so it definitely I've noticed since I've had a child um and since pregnancy and everything like chocolate I could eat for breakfast lunch and dinner quite <laughs> happily um so that's probably my hardest thing is kind of like I am having quite a bit anyway and fitting it in but I still just feel like I could have more and live off it to yeah. be honest so it's just kind of combat that with the poor sleep yeah yeah that's an important thing to master um we'll get out on some few Sarah thank you um, so I've gone over everyone on video. Anyone that's not on video, you can leave a comment in the chat box. I will copy it into the document and we will get it. We'll try and get everything answered. So we will start now. And I think the first thing to start with, and I'll cover a few of them, is um, protein supplements, supplements in general. What's, Paul, what's worth taking? But let's start with the three types of protein powders. What's the difference? Okay, so when we're talking about protein powders here, there's different varieties. The one that we're going to discuss is whey protein. So whey protein is of curds and whey fame, as in, you know, the old nursery rhyme, right? Who was it? Little Miss Muffet? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, so the whey is is an offcut of cheese manufacture, but it's super high in protein, super low in fat, and that's and it's a super high quality protein as well. So when we talk about quality of protein, what we're talking about is all the essential amino acids. Now, someone mentioned before about EAAs. That's what EAA stands for. It's essential amino acids. And you can just get those as a standalone product. I'm going to take those and just shove them off the table for a little minute. We'll come back to those in a second. So of the three main types of whey protein, you've got isolate, concentrate, and hydrolyzed whey or whey hydrolysate, depending on how it's marketed and labeled fundamentally the only difference between those three types of whey is how processed they are in order to remove excess fat and excess sugar okay so dairy has lactose which is the sugar in in dairy and obviously has fat and things in there as well it is milk it is you know it is in its in its rawest form there to be a fuel for um growth and obviously we're extracting all that fat out and all of that other kind of stuff and we're just putting into a a beautiful little high quality um if it's a decent brand high quality um high protein supplement to make it easier in order to get protein into our bodies for those who struggle with it so the real difference is from your guys perspective i'm sure maybe a few little alarm bells are flagged there is, is oh it's the sugar and the fat content that's removed but if you actually look at the labels on those products for yourselves you'll see that there's very little difference so for the increase in cost 
from a lot of those things and the increase in, in particularly with some brands that the increase in cost and everything else is it really worth it if you're on a budget particularly with the current economic crisis cost of living and stuff like that as well does it really matter if you lose like two grams of carbs from a product to get an isolate or a hydrolysate versus a concentrate probably not now there's other reasons why you might want um, a hydrolysate or an isolate uh, sorry hydrolysate or an isolate over a concentrate because of its mixability and the way it mixes so for example like a clear way type product is just much easier it's more, much more like water so um back when i had another a, a supplement company and worked in supplement industry that side of things we would use like a clear way in sort of a squash type thing it mixes kind of like this because it's just easier to drink in certain situations but if you like if you don't like the texture of protein then a clear way and isolate might be the way to go or hydrolysate sorry um whereas if you're just you know adding protein to cooking adding protein in a shake adding it to smoothies and you like a creamier taste and concentrate is absolutely fine so fundamentally it's the same root product it's just processed in a different way basically um so there's nothing there that and and in terms of the essential amino acids and all the amino acids that are in there so amino acids are the building blocks of proteins we get it from the food that we eat and they're essential because we have to get them from our diet so when we see the word essential whether it's any essential vitamin or mineral we have to think it's something that we have to um, ingest through food so with that being said eaa supplements are all all your essential amino acids are present in in high amounts in whey protein supplements so if you're using a whey protein you don't need to add, add in an essential amino acid and if you've heard that elsewhere that person is wrong and i don't i don't they just are right now the only reason you would use an essential amino acid is if for example someone was a vegetarian or a vegan and they were missing essential amino acids in the diet so you might use it then if you couldn't use a whey protein now why wouldn't you use maybe a soy protein or a pea protein so you can kind of use because that does have a complete amino acid spectrum but a lot of other plant-based proteins they don't have all of the essential amino acids in them so if you're a vegetarian or a vegan i'm sure you will have heard about combining different protein sources in order to create a complete protein okay the one that's in there that we really care about in terms of muscle recovery, repair, growth is one, an amino acid called leucine. And I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of this physiologically now as well, because it's confusing enough as it is. But that's the one that's really high in animal proteins as well. So that's why a whey protein isn't just about the amino acid composition. So there's nine essential amino acids. Yeah, nine essential amino acids. I think there's 20, 20 or 21 in total. Um, and it's the nine that you need because all of the others can be made up from you know, smashing the others together, doing a bit of funky physiology, and it, they can be created. So just to bring that back around again, in terms of proteins, if you are a vegetarian or vegan, you probably want either to use a soy protein, but in a higher amount than you would use a whey, because it's got lower amounts of amino acids in it. So maybe like an extra third of the dose would be a good way of looking at it, dose, serving size. Um, if you're using other plant-based things like pea or... Um, like yeah, pea protein, for example, pea protein isolates, you probably want to get a, a blend protein. So it might have pea in it. It might have, what other plant-based ones are in there? Um, my brain's gone completely numb. Rice protein, things like that. You'd want to make sure it's got those mixed in. If you do eat, if you are a vegetarian or you do have some, uh, or a, you know, omnivore that eats, eats meat and dairy, um, then any whey protein is fine for that as well okay so again essential amino acids i would say there's a in terms of essential amino acids they just mix in water they're kind of like a squash again 
the only situations that I would really recommend them to be would be someone who's like an ultra endurance athlete or an endurance athlete who's trying to take protein on board whilst they're doing activity just because of the easiness to digest. And also on top of that, they just um, also on top of that, they tend to like not sit in the, sorry, easy of digest and rate of digestion as well tends to be a bit quicker. So if you're breaking down a lot of tissue exercising for five, six, seven, eight hours at a time, then yeah. But outside of that, I would say that EAAs aren't, they're not a waste of money. They count towards your protein allowance, but they're just a very, a very um, uneconomical way of doing that. I would say financially, because they tend to be, tend to be more, more expensive as well. Um, um, so someone yeah, just nice. said that EAAs were recommended by Alex for a specific week of your cycle to assist women. Um, I'm not familiar with what context she was talking about there, but that's nothing I've ever heard before. So I can't make a comment on that, but that's nothing I've ever heard. And I'm pretty well read on female nutrition. So yeah, that's not something I've ever heard. Um, just, just on that, like, like you say, if you're going to get a protein drink, that's like the BCAs type flavor, you might as well go clear away hydro yeah, yeah. because you get all the proteins and it's the same taste and it's the same mixability. You might as well just get the full thing. Versus just the EAAs, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, AAAs are essential amino acids, which makes them seem like, oh, God, the supplement's worth taking. But at the end of the day, the amino acid, essential amino acids is a few grams of amino acids. You get them from a high-protein diet anyway. So I, I can't see mechanistically why there would be any benefit of taking extra essential amino acids if your diet was high enough in protein anyway. And you would use a protein powder in order to meet your protein requirements. So if those boxes are ticked, and don't forget, guys, the way we set you up anyway is on a higher-protein diet anyway so the addition of extra amino acids is like <laughs> it's like peeing in a swimming pool it's not gonna notice if the swimming pool's full of water you're only gonna notice if the swimming pool's empty right that's <laughs> basically the, the terrible analogy but that's how it works so yeah um and in terms of nutrition across specific parts of the menstrual cycle there are things in terms of appetite control and hunger and cravings which are definitely viable strategies which i think kind of touched upon um, and it was a different context with sarah before talking about cravings but we'll move on to that um, but yeah, in terms of protein supplementation, I have, I've, I've not, I've, I've not got any reason to believe that if you're hitting your protein targets, then you don't need a supplement. If you're using a supplement to hit your protein targets, then that's fine. But then you wouldn't need any essential amino acids on top of that. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting I've read every piece of research on every single subject, but that's not something I'm, I'm remotely familiar with. And it's some, certainly something I wouldn't recommend to any of my female athletes. Um, Happy so, days. Yeah. yeah. Nice one, Paul. That's answered the supplement question. I know, Blaith, you asked about creatine at any time. Just a yeah. load there. So, Dr. P, maybe finish okay. out off the creatine quickly. Yeah. So, creatine basically is you've got several different energy systems in the body. And what creatine does is it allows us increased access to that really fast, explosive energy system. So, it's called your ATP PCR, which is adenosine triphosphate phosphocreatine system. And it's the creatine, phosphocreatine, which allows you to store more of that energy in your muscles, okay? So if we take creatine, you can get it in the diet, typically from things like red meat, but we don't tend to have saturated our muscles with it. So think of it like a fuel tank on a car, but it's more like a, a NOS booster or something that's going to like fuel injection. So that's what it is. So it's, it's usually used for strength type training, okay? Um, so yeah, it's usually used for strength type training for that reason, because it can increase the duration at which you can keep high output. Now, the question is, does it become useful for endurance? The answer to that is a bit, it's yes and yes and no. 
and I'll explain why. So as well as working the muscles, there are some there is some evidence to suggest that increased creatine levels and that AT, increases in that ATP PCR facility actually does things like um, reduce perception of fatigue and things like that in an endurance session and actually helps with um, metabolism within the brain. So theoretically, although the evidence on it, again, is a little bit, yes, it's got some potential benefits for endurance. Also, because it because creatine makes the muscles and body retain water, which sounds scary to a lot of people because we're terrified of water retention, it might help saturate cells with water, which is a good thing for endurance. However, creatine also, because it increases water retention within the body, also increases weight. So power to weight ratio can then become an issue for endurance athletes because that's why endurance athletes don't look like bodybuilders, right? Now, we're only talking about a few pounds here. We're not talking about things that are going to really massively affect your performance. So the question is, would I use it and use it year round? Yes, if I wasn't like an elite athlete who really cares about shaving 0.5 seconds per kilometer off their, you know, their 5K time or whatever it is, right? Um, is it something that's essential? No, I would say it's probably conditionally essential for vegetarians and vegans because they don't get enough um, protein in the diet. And I would say that the long-term benefits in terms of neuroprotection, so protecting our brain cells against degenerative decline, and a lot of the research now, which is starting to look at the effects of creatine in the brain, is really exciting, including concussion research as well. So not sure how many people in this, in this challenge get hit in the head on a regular basis. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things in terms of concussion protocols and stuff as well, where creatine seems to have that. And increasingly it's being used in elderly populations for both lean, lean muscle retention. Um, it might have an effect on that on its own, regardless of stimulus through resistance training, although it's going to be added with, um, increased with resistance training, but actually in terms of the, I think prevention is a strong word but protection might be a better word of saying it against elements of neurodegeneration as well. So, you know, it's something that I will use when I, even when I've stopped running around the countryside and lifting heavy things, I think I would always use creatine. Um, um, so should we not be taking creatine every day if we aren't exercising much is a, is a follow-up question for that. You, again, to caveat that guys, you don't need to use creatine. You don't need to use it. It's a sports performance supplement that may have some cognitive benefits as you get older. However, what I would say is it's cheap as, cheap as chips, relatively speaking, for the dosages and servings that's there. So, you know, in terms of cost, price, benefit, risk versus reward, if, some, if it costs you 100 grand for a month's worth, I'm probably going to say don't bother with it for everybody in every context, but it's a few quid for several months' worth. So is the juice worth the squeeze? Probably yes. And it's something that I use year-round because of that. Um, but if you're not a strength athlete, you're not really bothered about exercise performance and you've still got your faculties and you're not getting hit in the head a lot, would I use it? Then, you know, it's your, it's your, it really is your call. On that note, there's a really cool ex uh, exercise website called examine.com. So I would make a note of that examine.com. And basically they do detailed academic referenced research on all supplements when they're used, how to use them, what are the contraindications, do they interact with any medication, it's a really good resource and it's a completely it's there's a subscription element to it for the deeper level content, but for the kind of information sheets on supplements, it's usually free. So if you do have any questions, Scott's just posted the, the comment in the group now. So if you do have any questions, um, if you do have any questions on that, you know, there's a million and one supplements out there. Don't freak out. Go to that website. 
It's independent. They don't sell supplements. It's not a gimmick. I know the owner of the site. He's a super knowledgeable dude. Um, and yeah, so any other questions on supplements, you can ask them, but always go to that as a first resource. And then if you can't unpick them, then we can get into the nitty-gritty of that. Because if we talk about supplements, literally we'll be here all day. But the ones that work, here's the ones that work. That's an easier list. Creatine in the context I've just described, okay? Um, protein, if you need extra protein in your diet to hit protein allowances, Okay. Um, fish oils, if you don't eat oily fish, for example, I hate fish, which is surprising to most people for some reason. I don't know why. So I'll use omega-3s because they're an essential fatty acid. Um, vitamin D in the winter is pretty much one that's on my list. And then this kind of ties in with what someone said before, and this is conditional. If you hate fruits and vegetables and you don't eat enough fruits and vegetables, then a reasonable broad spectrum multivitamin and multi-mineral isn't going to do you any harm. I, as a sports and exercise registered professional, have to say this, okay? I encourage a food-first approach because there's other nutrients in food that help with digestibility. There's other nutrients in food that work together in conjunction that have health benefits. You'll have heard, th heard of things like polyphenols, flavonoids, flavanols, and all of that stuff in fancy marketing on TV. That's where your fruits and veggies have a lot of that stuff in that you won't find in a multivitamin and multi polyphenols and stuff like that, okay? So I would say that if you do struggle to eat fruits and veggies, then and you're worried about you know your immune system crashing or you're constantly ill again they're pretty cheap it may or may not work but it's not the end of the world to say right i'm going to take a multivitamin and a multimineral you know a decent broad spectrum one um one of the things i would say with that though is don't use that as your only food don't use that as a get out of jail free card for not eating fruits and vegetables because fruits and vegetables are also full of things like fiber prebiotics um all of that kind of stuff which are going to help you feel full. They're going to help with digestive system health. They're going to help with blood sugar control. They're going to help with um, loads of other cool stuff as well. That's just falling out of my head because it's half past seven fruit. on a Thursday. Evening. Go fruit. Yeah go, yeah, go fruit, go fruit and veg, basically. <laughs> and nice and Dr. P. Um, I've got four questions here that tie into <clears throat> boredom eating, cravings, um, ways to combat stress, food. So being stressed and looking for sugary stuff. And then... Mm -hmm. Is one on being a deficit for three weeks and having a migraine, and is that a result of fat burning? So let tie them up. Tie them up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> tie all those things up together. Okay. So I think there's an important tip for anyone listening to this because I know we've got some old old school here and some new school. Okay. I think it's important to really separate the difference between like a craving and and hunger. So if you can't separate between those two things, I think that's the first important thing to kind of sit in yourself and say like. Am I actually hungry or am I craving something? Now, cravings will occur for, for many different reasons, but I'm going to broadly break them down into two camps. One is it's an associative camp. So I'm bored. Therefore, what do I do when I'm bored? Okay. And that boredom is usually cured nicely by something like chocolate or something sweet or something tasty because it tastes nice. And we go, oh, yeah, I'm not bored anymore. I'm eating this thing. Our brain gets some kind of pleasure. We get a little, you know, little sexy dopamine or serotonin release. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's gone now. I'm bored again now. So one of the things we need to do is I would say that, again, some people aren't comfortable with journaling and like, you know, dear diary type journaling, but make an observation around what it is that you're what it is that you're doing when you get cravings. And then what you need to try and do is provide an alternative thought. So if it's just that like actually it's because I'm bored, or maybe it's that there's something else going on, whether it's stress or anxiety or worry, that it's important to pinpoint that and then try and create an association of like, well, how is food solving that problem for you? Because the reality is is the food isn't solving the problem. It does, it does for a second because it's a distraction. 
So the first thing really is to have an awareness of like, feel your feelings, but just don't give into them straight away until you sit down. And I always call it like completing the story, right? So like, I know, for example, I get cravings for things. Like when I'm, when I'm at home at my parents, which I was last weekend, like I only really, my diet quality there is, is pretty poor because it's just the, the fridge is full of chocolate and crisps. And as soon as I go in, um, sorry, the fridge is full of chocolate, cupboard's full of crisps. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Um, just in case everyone thinks my family is sociopath or something like that. Um, like I'll just go straight into the kitchen and just like when I'm bored, I'll just open the open the kitchen, the, the, the fridge. And I'm like, why am I even here? Like some of those associative behaviors that we've got. So if we're trying to change a habit, we have to figure out like what the trigger to that is, whether it's boredom, emotion, whatever it is, what is the behavior that we're doing and what is the consequence of that? So think about this as like your ABCs, what's triggered it? What is the behavior that I'm doing? What are the consequences of that? And am I happy with that consequence, right? Now, if you can complete that story before you've already eaten, you know, your massive bag of twirl bites, talking from bitter experience there or whatever it is, then you might be able to sort of talk yourself out of it and rationalize it. Now, if the craving is, is what I would call purely physiological, okay, and by that, what I mean is you're not bored, you just really want some chocolate, okay, or you really want something and it could be salty, it could be, you know, sweet, it could be a combination of those things, fatty, carby, whatever, I think quite often that is being driven by um, things like, and I hate to say this because it's not a fair one, things like lack of sleep, things like not having a regular eating structure through the day to stabilize blood sugar levels, potentially some stress and anxiety, which causes an adrenal response where we get increases in things like adrenaline, which then causes us to burn through carbohydrates, get through blood sugar. Then we get these little, they're not crashes. It's not like you're going to go hypoglycemic, but we get these little low, low glucose states. And then all of a sudden we start to crave those foods. So if I was, I was reading a study the other day, I'm obsessed with chess at the moment. I'll grow out of it soon enough. Right. But like, I was reading a study the other day that like a chess player playing at elite level because of the concentration is burning like as many calories per hour as someone who's like exercising moderately because the, your brain uses glucose as a fuel. If you have a high impact, high, sorry, a high impact. If you have a high stress, high concentration job, or you're just having a day where everything is on top of you, you are burning more calories, right? It's not going to be thousands of calories a day extra. But what I'm saying is that those things are going to start you know, your brain runs on glucose primarily. So it's going to start reducing your glucose levels. As soon as you get into that low energy state, it's not going to be hunger. It's not like your body's in a low energy state in terms of like, you know, your, your body's like, right, it's time to eat. But for me, having an observation and making a plan of when you're getting these things and seeing if there's any consistency, if it's the same time of day and it's not boredom, it could be that you've forgotten to eat in the morning. So the first thing I would say as a solution is, figure out if you have no meal structure start with having a meal structure again having children can throw that out the window you know having children can affect sleep sleep again causes us to get cognitive fatigue um it, our brain doesn't um rejuvenate itself as efficiently as we would like and you know we know sleep affects eating behavior so again if you're somebody who gets less than six hours a night sleep and consistently and it's because you'd much rather watch an episode of netflix on Netflix rather than go to bed a bit earlier or scroll on your phone on Instagram. I, my strongest advice, if you're struggling with weight and cravings the next day is actually try and improve your sleep quality first. Like if you improve your, when I work with clients and they improve the quality of their sleep, you'd be surprised at how much better their hunger and appetite and regulation control gets. Now, Sarah, I'm sorry. I can't help you with that one. Unless you're willing to tranquilize the baby. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. And, um, but what I would say is 
and this is kind of, again, a bit more global advice, is like, look, we are in the situations that we're in and it might not be the most opportune time for you to achieve the things that you want to achieve, but what you can do is still do the best that you can do within the limits and the restrictions that we've got in certain phases of our lives. And that's applicable to everybody. If you're traveling and you haven't got time to work out, as long as you can sit there and honestly say, like, I'm doing my best and stay in the game, there will be periods of time in your life or across the week or the month or the years ahead where you can concentrate more on yourself. And those are the things where the little habits and things that you're working on now will then start to pay dividends because it's just taking that next that next step. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're a new mom or you've got, I mean, I met with my friend on Monday, bless him, and his daughter just doesn't sleep at all. And he looked like he's aged about 15 years in the last year. Um, you know, yeah. I sometimes wonder if I've missed out not having kids at my age, but yeah, I don't look 41. He looks about 52 and he's younger than me. Um, so I'm going to, that's my, that's my justification. I'm going to stick with it. But, um, but yeah, he, you know, it's, it's that element of like, it does have an impact on your desire to eat. And anyone who says otherwise is, is fooling themselves. But that also means that, again, if we're talking about being healthy and if you want to set yourself a challenge, um, again, the longer you stay awake, the more tired you're going to get, obviously. And it's when we get tired and fatigued that we're more likely to crave those things of an evening, right? I bet you most people's chocolate behaviors and overeating occurs of an evening. I would say a good 75 plus percent of people here who really struggle to restrain their eating. It happens of an evening. Why does that happen? Well, it's because our bodies are getting tired. And if we're not going to bed and we're not getting ready for bed, then our body's going to start craving energy and it's going to want it from the quickest, easiest, highest calorie options available. Guess what that is? Things like chocolate because it's carby, it's fatty, it's it lights up those pleasure senses in our brain, okay? So I also think that one of the challenges that a lot of people have as well, and just in terms of structuring nutrition, you know, I know a lot of people might be freaking out about tracking and everything else as well. Start with trying to have some regular meal times. And actually, don't starve yourself all day so you can have like loads of crap of an evening. And I hate labeling foods as crap, but we all know what we mean by that. High calorie, hyper, hyper ultra processed, you know, not filling foods, right? I'm not trying to vilify them, eat them in moderation, yada, 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 the gospel that we preach. But ultimately, we can't just not eat all day so we can eat a thousand calories in, in pizza or chocolate or crisps, right? I mean, you can, but it ain't no way to live your life. And trust me, you're making it harder for yourself than you need to. What I would say is like, even through the day, one of the things that helps most of the people I work with one-to-one is actually eating a bit more food in the daytime. Now, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. We're all individuals. We all you know, operate on a spectrum. But the people who tend to struggle most with their food control are people who will do the whole, maybe skip breakfast. And again, not saying you have to eat breakfast, but they might skip breakfast. And then because they're in the, the office and they're trying to lose weight, they'll have a salad for lunch, which is a bit of chicken and a bit of salad. And then there's no carbs in there. There's no fuel. So it's like 150 calories. And then by the time they get home, they're already picking in the cookie jar as soon as they get in whilst they're cooking the dinner. Then they have the dinner and you've got to have dessert, right? Because, you know, you've saved up calories all day and you've earned it. So then you eat 500 calories in, you know, whatever it is that you've eaten then. And then you sat in front of the TV and you're still not full and your brain's tired. So then you eat another you know, you get the Pringles out or whatever it is. And as they say, once you pop, they can't stop. And then before you know it, that 500 calories you've eaten by, that 500 calories you've eaten by five o'clock is now 2000 calories. And you, you, you go to bed pissed off, miserable, and like you fail a day. So then you wake up the next day in a negative mood, right? Sorry if that was just me, like spin a narrative that has resonated with some people there, but it's almost like I've had this conversation with people before many times over, right? So, and again, this doesn't come from a place of judgment from me, by the way, guys. So if I come across as being a bit abrupt, I apologize. The fact of the matter is, 
it's the reason that I can say this stuff is because it's true. And there's, but none of the things I'm saying that aren't fixable. That, sorry, all of the things I'm saying that are fixable if you choose to fix them and not just go, not me. You know, like I always talk about non-negotiables and sleep should be a non-negotiable for most people. I'm not going to sit there and say I'm like a sleep specialist or, you know, say that like, you know, you need 10 hours a night's sleep or whatever it is. But like, if you're waking up tired every morning, the first thing you need to get function a day is coffee every single day. I don't know, maybe, maybe try and get to bed half an hour earlier and just see if that has any benefit or an hour or whatever it might be. Um, anyway, sorry, that went on a bit of a mad awesome. segue there. Apologies. <laughs> As if that's not norm, the, not the norm <laughs> of the P segues, but always interesting. Always covering many questions there, Dr. P. Um, hopefully people got clarity in there. So another one is linking in here. So have a look. There is a question on full fat versus low fat. Um, carbon fat limits, what matters? Conflicted about low fat versus full fat too. I automatically reach for the low fat. Not sure what's best. Um, then we've got, is there another one about fat? Yeah, let's have a look. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think that's it. So just talk about fats in general, maybe, and then allowance um, and stuff. Yeah, talk about why do we need fats? Okay. How important are they? La la la. Okay, so. The whole, I'll give you a bit of a bit of a sort of science history lesson here first before we get too technical. But a lot of the, a lot of the, what would you call it? Public health messaging around fat and carbs comes from what you call like population observational data. And so what they'll do is they'll look at, they look at a population who's at risk of something like heart disease. And they will then look at a dietary analysis of those people. And they will say, oh my God, there's a massive correlation between the intake of I don't know, pepper armies and heart disease. And then they'll publish this and then the media will come out and go, pepper armies cause heart disease, right? I don't know if they do or not, by the way. This is just me creating an example. So in the sort of 70s and 80s, as we became as a population more, having more access to things like high fat foods, you know, um, those foods that you, you would, you know, like, um, what do you call them? Like snack foods and things like that, which tend to have more fat content. Weirdly, carbs get the blame for this. But actually, it's the higher fat content tends to ramp up the calories really quickly. Why? Because one gram of fat has got nine calories in it. One gram of carbs has got four calories in it. And for the same amount of energy density, you tend to find like, you know, like a tablespoon of olive oil is like what, like 20, like 18 grams. And that's like 100 and odd calories of fat. Whereas, you know, carbohydrates tend to be in things like rice and potatoes and things which have got more water content with them as well, as long as they're not too, too refined. Anyway, bit of a segue there. So when, when there was this, the public health message has to be very simplified because if it's complex, then people don't know what to follow. And like you say, you get lots of conflicting information. So for a long time, I think in the 80s and 90s, there was this big push towards low-fat alternatives to things, right? Now, does that mean that fat is inherently bad? The answer to that is no. Are there specific types of fat that may be bad? Probably yes, if you eat them in excessive amounts. And that's the key, excessive amounts, okay? If you're moderating your calorie intake, either on a fat loss phase or at a maintenance phase or whatever it is you're doing, fats are actually really important in the body. They act, they're not just an energy store. We don't just have fat in our fat cells. It's one thing that they do. But certain fats act as um, signalers, in the signalers in the body. So for example, omega-3, the fatty acid that's famous from um, in, in fish, is uh, it's anti-inflammatory. It's, it's a signal, signaler within the body that tells like our inflammatory cells to calm down and keep everything cool and chilled. It has it is important for the synthesis of certain hormones in the body. So fat-soluble hormones 
which are things like steroid hormones like estrogen, progesterone, um, all of the well, all of the male and female um, sex hormones are derived from cholesterol, a cholesterol backbone. Vitamin D is also, um, yes, it is. Yeah, sorry, my brain stopped working for a second. I was just doubting myself. And obviously, also, you've got your fat-soluble vitamins. So fat sources have fat-soluble vitamins in them, shockingly, which is A, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. So ADEC is an easy way of remembering that one. Um, So fats are essential in the diet. They are called essential fats for a reason. It's just probably not essential to eat hundreds of grams of it a day because it adds to our calorie intake. um, And that's where the association came from because a lot of the issues around coronary heart disease, cancers, and fat intake are exactly the same rationale of what happened when people started saying, you know, carbohydrates cause cancer or carbohydrates cause heart disease or carbohydrates cause whatever. And then before you know it, you don't know whether to eat carbs or fats. And the reality is it is a surplus of energy, which is the problem. Okay. Now, yes, there are idiosyncrasies within that and complexities of how certain fatty acids interact in the body. So some are more pro-inflammatory than others. Does that matter? In what context does it matter? For for you, for everybody listening here's intents and purposes, yes, you want to focus on having, you know, some fat in the diet because it is essential. But if you're moderating your fat intake to a reasonable level and you're moderating your weight or losing weight and you you're maintain getting to and maintaining a healthy weight, a lot of those concerns about fat intake and the types of fat kind of disappear to basically a relative risk of not very much. Okay. Now, if you've got a familial history of something like heart disease, you know, coronary heart disease, cardiovascular diseases, you are probably going to want to speak to your doctor about a course of action there as well, rather than just listening to me and get specific information, get some blood work done and so on and so forth. So please don't say, take what I'm saying here and being like, ah, Dr. P said I can eat as much saturated fat as I want if I've got a familial history of heart disease and my BMI is like, you know, is, is very high. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that for most people, most of the time, you don't need to worry about it. Now, does that mean that we should eat the higher fat options of foods? Well, in the context of what I've just said there, if you like the higher fat versions of foods and it tastes nice and it fits your calories and the rest of your diet is fairly balanced with sources of healthy fats, so plant-based fats, nuts, seeds, olive oils, so on and so forth. Avocados are a famous one at the moment. Um, Famous one at the moment. Are they famous? I don't know. Increasingly popular or becoming increasingly popular in the last like 10 years or so. Um, Things like that. The chances are that that's not going to, that's not going to have an issue. The problem with fat is it's just high calorie. So if you're trying to regulate your fat intake, like I said, at the very start, it's not that you should choose a low fat option because they're necessarily healthier. It's that you should choose them. If you choose to choose them, there's a lot of choosers going on there because they're going to help you. They're going to help you regulate your calorie intake. And at the heart of everything, that's what matters. Okay. You know, the principles of the energy intake versus energy expenditure. So, if you if you prefer a if you prefer a high fat version of something, then you might just have to have a smaller portion size of it. Yeah, that's that's the reality of it. If we want to consume a lot of those foods and still hit our targets. Now, speaking of hitting targets, remember that the macros that are sent are, are are guidelines rather than you need to hit them. They're not something to aim at. They're kind of like an artificial ceiling that we can adjust over time. So if you've been given set targets and they're too high for you, you're not hitting them. Don't eat to them. We don't want to like start making people overeat and force themselves to eat if they're already full, right? So please use them as a sort of ceiling rather than a target to reach, okay? Yeah. So don't anyone who's listening to this who gets the macro targets who's under eating by their carbs or fats or a combination of one or the other, that's fine. That's good, 
right? Because it shows that there's some some um, some element of appetite regulation going on there. And with time, it's an adjustable process anyway. So once that's settled and we've got some data, then things will adjust up and down depending on what you're already taking or what you're already in, in taking and also what results that we get from the checking processes, okay? So please don't um, don't overthink that. And then someone asked about, I think, God, it's testing my memory this, quite impressed. Um, someone said, mentioned about, um, you know, is can you swap gram for gram fats and carbs? No, you can't, but you can calorie for calorie. So remember that one gram of fat has nine calories, one gram of carbohydrate has four calories. So 100 calories of carbs and 100 calories of fat are the same, but it's a different amount of grams, okay? So you can interchange calories, but you can't interchange grams because 100 grams of carbohydrate would be 400 calories, 100 gram of fat would be 900 calories, okay? So just, just have an awareness of that. And one of the things that will happen if you're, if you're new to this in particular is that you'll start to see... Um, you'll start to see that when you start to log your foods, you'll start to be surprised. You'll start to notice it, like how quickly things like rack up, which have got higher fat content in. Maybe things have got more fat than you thought they did. Maybe they've got less. And I'm not suggesting we should guide our food choices always based on the carbs, fats, and protein content. We've got to have some enjoyment in there. But as a starting point, like really learn your data, learn what foods are, learn about food quality. And then you end up in a situation um, was it Michelle before you said you'd like maintain for a while and you hadn't been tracking for a bit? Yeah. You end up in a situation like, how have we this together? Um, that, um, you end up in a situation like Michelle where like you don't need to track to be able to maintain weight. So that's a massive win because if you're more aware of foods and you've educated yourself on food choices, that's a huge win. So a lot of people would see that as negative because you've not been tracking. I would say that for your long-term sanity and not needing to track everything all the time and getting tracking and data anxiety, which a lot of people do, and this fear that if they're not tracking, they're all of a sudden a failure and they're not going to succeed when you know they go on holiday or whatever it might be, that actually what you then need to do is you use tracking as a tool and a vehicle that is useful to you in whatever context, whether it's building muscle, losing more weight, you know, it's just, it's just a it's a for me, tracking is about it's about education and it's about accountability and it's about honesty. But it's most importantly just a vehicle of reassurance that if I'm consuming a certain amount of foods, that I know I'm consuming those things rather than just, you know, guessing and then wondering why I'm not making progress and convincing it, convincing myself that it's those, you know, three vanilla lattes I'm having a day, which are like 700 calories that's stopping me losing weight because I really like them and I don't want to face up to the reality of that being the situation. And maybe I just need to order at all or maybe just have two or one. And you can also do that, reduce things slowly. You don't have to go cold turkey on everything straight away. So when it comes to health and fitness and a bit more of a, a um, what's the word? A bit more of a sort of philosophical tone when it comes to using tools, whether it's exercise, whether it's Fitbit tracking data, whether it's weighing yourself, measuring yourself, whether it's tracking your food intake, it's important to understand the value of that in order to do it. So if you don't see the value in using a tool, you're not going to use that tool. You know, so I would try if you're struggling to track and people are struggling to get on the horse or back off the horse, or maybe they've got the foot stuck in the stirrup and the horse is dragging them along a little bit at the moment. I would encourage people to sort of taking a step backwards and see value in, in the purpose of tracking and what it's going to give you rather than it taking away from us and taking food away from us. Cause that's just a perception of, 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 a, of, a, of a tool, which isn't necessarily, um, isn't necessarily helpful. So 
you know, for people who are new to tracking, there's going to be days where you, it's a new habit. There's going to be days where you forget to do it because it's not something that you've done before. And that's okay because we're trying to install and instill new habits. So set yourself reminders, make things visible, you know, put notes on your phone, put stuff in your Google calendar, anything that you're struggling to do because it's not at the forefront of your, your mind is going to need a little reminder. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Um, like when I was trying to get, like I used to have terrible sleep habits. So I, I got into a habit of setting like a bedtime alarm to remind myself it was time to go to bed. Cause I just, I'd just switch off to it. And then before you know it, you know, it's half 12 and it's like, Oh, I've got to be up at six in the morning and now I'm going to, Oh, well, screw it. I might as well stay in for a penny and for a pound. I might as well stay up another half an hour longer and finish watching that episode of peep show, which is the greatest series ever made. If you haven't seen it, I'd strongly advise watching it. Um, so yeah, I think that, if, you're, if there's habits that you aren't doing, set yourself reminders and alarms to remind yourself to do them because it, it's, it's not the only way, but it's certainly helpful than having to rely on your own mind when we've got careers, families, other stresses, a million and one things to juggle. You know, give, give yourself a bit of a, a um, what's the word? A bit of a helping hand in terms of, uh, in terms of reminding yourself of these things, particularly with something like an Xmas challenge, like these aren't things to solve all of your problems all in one go, but it's a good opportunity whilst you've got, you know, accountability and support to figure out the things that you naturally take to like, uh, you know, like a fat loss duck to water and things that are really a struggle for you and that you need a bit of extra help and support on. And those are the things that you double down on. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Lovely. Happy days, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, man. Smash! I'm impressed. I just, with I just I'm, I'm impressed off. with all what we can fit in with you in this hour. Actually, usually it would be one question. We've done a few bits here. I've taken my ADHD meds today. <laughs> Chilled you out a bit. Um, so we got a few minutes. Well, we, let's do five minutes. So let's try, let's have a look here. So I'd like you to. I know you've covered it a bit. With so there's good and bad foods and restriction of bad foods causing this real bad bad relationship with food mm-hmm. right so kirsten mentioned that so okay i got i've got just yeah i can jump onto that one and also as yeah. well a, an important one because it's a medical one really um someone said like three weeks of uh, having a of migraine now um i don't think that would be a result of fat burning as such but it might be that like if you're a deficit's too aggressive and it means that you're not getting enough like if you're not staying adequately hydrated if things like a lot of people tend to get um migraines if they're not hydrated enough or they're not if they restrict a lot of food in their diet and they reduce their salt intake, for example, like a lot of people vilify salt and it's another one of those things, which is like, Oh God, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of what, what it is. But if people reduce a lot of their processed food, food and their salt intake, actually it can affect fluid balance in the body. So it might just be worth um, just on the, on the tracker. Cause it, it does, it's sodium, sodium's on there, isn't it? I'm not gone mad. Have I? Yeah. Sodium's on there. Like look at your sodium intake and just see if that's really low. Cause if that's low, it might be causing a little bit of low blood, blood, blood pressure which then causes people to have headaches as well um and again people have have noticed migraines if their calories are too low but you didn't you'd know if your calories were too low because your weight would come down super 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 quickly after a couple of week period of time okay so if you let's say you've been on a deficit for three weeks if your weight has come down a couple of pounds then i wouldn't suggest it was purely to do with the calorie deficit it's probably maybe you've changed something in your diet or your nutrition and without being able to speak specifically it's difficult to know um but I would say that if it's come down several pounds in the space of three weeks, like you've been losing more than two pounds a week, I would suggest that maybe there's just a little bit of, um, that's like maybe might be too aggressive for you. 
So that's an interesting sort of segue, actually, in terms of just because you can lose weight quicker doesn't mean that you should, because it has it can have other kind of impacts as well. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult to give a specific answer to that one. But that's the best guess. If I would talk like a general answer of what causes people to have migraines when they lose weight, I would say it's usually reducing too much salt or not staying on top of there. Um, and then yeah. as well, Paul, as yeah. well, the yeah, so, safeguards in the app. So well, if your weight is dropping. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's important. But yeah, so we've just said there, water intake went up. My only my weight only dropped one kg, which is not too that's that's fine. But um really it's really interesting. And again, this is purely anecdotal, and I don't like saying anecdotal things, but I do know that some people with certain sweeteners in like protein powders and stuff as well could do tend do tend to have an increased report in um in things like gastrointestinal distress and actually migraines. So again, I'm not suggesting that's hard scientific fact, and I wouldn't do that. What I would say is though, is that if there's anything that you've added into your diet, that then all of a sudden you associate with migraine, migraines or anything medically that you've noticed, be your own scientist, take it out for a few days and see if the symptoms improve. And, you know, then we don't need to, you know, we don't need to start digging around in research papers. We just kind of leave it alone. So, yeah, I would suggest that if there's anything, that, if anyone's suffering with anything and they've added something in, um, someone mentioned the greens powder before. Now, as somebody who owns a company that sells a green powder, um, I would say that, again, they're not essential in the diet, but they are, they are sometimes beneficial in certain situations. You know, think of the word supplement and what it means, right? Supplement is there to supplement your diet. Right. So if you look at a, if you have a diet and it's got, you know, you're eating your five or six portions of fruit and veg a day, you're getting some good healthy fats in there from nuts and seeds and olive oil. You're eating your protein, having a couple of bits of red meat a week to get your iron in, a couple of servings of fish for your omega threes, all of that stuff. Then chances are you're not going to need supplements, really, unless you've got very specific performance needs. OK, so that's why we say food first doesn't mean no supplements. It just means that most of what we get from supplements you see in a health food store can be taken that way. I personally use a, um, I use a greens powder now because it's one, it's something I developed and two, because it's just for me at the moment with my lifestyle, it's just a quick and easy and convenient way of getting in lots of not vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, um, as well. And I'm not even going to tell you what the name of it is because I'm not here to sell you stuff that I sell. That's the reality of it. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, um, I've got like a greens and greens and blues powder. It's got berries and stuff in it as well, which is quite cool. Um, but I just use it because it's convenient for me. But that's, you know, I do try and eat fruits and veggies and I'm a big proponent of that. It's just sometimes I'm lazy as well. So I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and tell everyone they need to cook everything from fresh every day. And the final answer to that question, which ties me back in is um, when it comes to fresh and frozen, there's no real difference. Um, it depends on when things are frozen. Actually, fresh fruits can degrade quicker because they're not preserved. If you've got something that's flash frozen at the second they're picked, they tend to actually have a higher, generally have a higher nutrient value unless the freezing process degrades some nutrients, which it might do. So the answer is you're not going to know, right? There's sort of things like growing conditions and stuff like that, which are more likely to affect the nutrient quality or amount of foods than the actual process of them being, you know, tin, frozen, dried, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. There's no, no real difference or at least not one that you would know anyway. So yeah. Um, control your controllables and just focus on getting it in anyway. Even just the psychological benefits of eating more of it, you know, feeling healthier from eating healthier, you know, a higher quality diet. Um, and where was I going with that, Scott? Help me. I've lost track now. Meds are wearing off. Um, yeah, no, nice, nice. I think let's do one more then. And we would have covered nearly all of it. I think 
we'll cover good and bad food in a full mm. session, Tyson, I think. I think it's worth talking about. So Paul, yeah. like, going to the research on, is there really I think, I think, I think I'm not going to answer the question, but I'm going to ask a question with that. Because I like to give people, you know, like um, kind of Jerry Springer, final thought, take home message type thing. Yeah. The question, the question would be, what, where does that come from? So if you've got a bad association with food, whether it's from parents, whether it's from stuff that you've read online, like ask yourself where that's come from and ask yourself why you should have listened to that as an authority. You know, like if you wouldn't like, for example, a lot of people I work with who've got parents who tell them they should or shouldn't eat certain things or whatever. It's like, you wouldn't let your parents in like change the electrics in your house if they weren't electricians. So why would you let them give you advice on nutrition? So sometimes what we need to do, if we've got a bad association with foods is figure out where that's come from and actually question their authority. The problem becomes within the health and fitness space, there's a lot of people who speak with authority about nutrition who haven't got a clue and they'll say things matter of factly. And therefore they, they come across like they're this authority figure for whatever reason, maybe they're in shape, maybe they're athletes, maybe they've got a big social media following Maybe I don't have any of those things. So, you know, I, I say that makes me more honest, right? But what I do have is a boatload of experience and academic credentials, um, you know, family and sport, all of that stuff as well. But even within sports, I work with a lot of fighters and a lot of weight cutting sports and they've got the worst relationships with food. You believe they look healthy. They, they look healthy, whatever healthy looking is, but actually the relationship with food is really bad and really damaged because there's this mentality that if you're not suffering, you're not being successful. And actually it's just, it's, it's a culture within a lot of sports, which is ridiculous. If you look at dance sports, aesthetic sports, weight sports, you know, the, the nutrition advice that is given there is, is woeful. And it's frustrating for people like myself who, who come from this perspective of balance, trying to undo the work because you're working with a gym or a club where the coach also happens to be the nutritionist. But his last bit of nutrition ed- education was done in like the 70s when, you know, whatever it was they were picking on them was a problem. And, you know, this is bad and that's bad and the other's bad. And I see those barriers all the time. I offer my services free quite often to speak to boxing gyms, to running clubs, to whatever. And quite often I I know the information there is being not given correctly because people in the club have told me and they've spoken to me. And yet they they don't like outsiders coming in and upsetting the apple cart because they don't, they don't want me to come in and be honest because it might annoy some coach who's been there five years who believes that if you don't eat blueberries, if you don't eat 13 blueberries every day at 11, 13, then therefore you're a failure as a human being or whatever nonsense it is that they get within their own little, um, their own little, uh, <laughs> their own little, their own little bubbles of nonsense. Um, Jess just said their question parental authority is what I heard. Yeah. You should question your parents' authority past this in a respectful way past a certain point and only on subjects where you're just where you've got more information or the potential to have more information yeah why doesn't my mum speak to me very much anymore weird that isn't it? um so uh so that was yeah that, that's the question i would ask people to ask themselves is if you are if you have a, a bad relationship with our food ask yourself where it comes from and then in a nice and polite and courteous way ask yourself if that actually that person should have that level of authority over you and unfortunately, like I was saying, there's quite people who you would put into an assumption that like a running coach, for example, or an athlete coach would know loads about nutrition. It's simply not true. And therefore, create yourself a little framework of like, what do I need to believe somebody on this stuff? Yeah. What do I need? So for me to believe someone on nutrition or anything training or physiology wise, they have to be qualified, appropriately qualified. But that's not the only caveat. 
they have to be able to explain things in a way that's simple enough that I can understand it. And that shows that they can, they can interpret it rather than just, you know, copying and pasting abstracts from science. And they also, I mean, in an ideal world, this isn't always the case. Like they should be a practitioner who's got a lot of good testimonials of people who also are, um, are reputable and also are around other people that you would say, you know, or associated with or around other people that you would say had good levels of authority. So for me, if I'm going to listen to someone on strength training, there's probably a fair chance they're going to be working in professional sport with like a professional sports team through a governing body. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, they should be on some form of register for, for professional, you know, thingy if you're going to listen to them. That doesn't mean that anyone who's not on a register isn't worth listening to. It just means that you're probably going to want to teach those people, treat those people with a bit of a pinch of salt. Right. You know, so, you know, a level three personal trainer who's done a six week course or whatever might be able to give you exactly the same information to me, but I would hope that, you know, that there's, there's a bit more leniency with the trust that you would put into what I would say than what they would say. So it's not about being right or wrong. It's about the trust that you put into those statements. So yeah, ask yourself what people's credentials are in certain areas as a starting point. And if that's, your, if you've got this from friends or family or some article in Cosmo or whatever it is, or Slimming World, well, it should be some alarm bells flagging off straight there that maybe the people doing those things aren't necessarily the most educated in nutrition and health, um, at least these days. Um, Bang on. I think you touch on uh, performance nutrition versus like just general health living nutrition is very different. But, uh, it's, it's very different, but 90% of it's the same. Because at the end of the day, apart from energetics and one or two different things, like you can't have performance without health. You know, like that's the reality of it. You can't have a performance diet that doesn't include all of the facets of health. The two just aren't, the two just don't go hand in hand. Like you can't be an athlete if you're not healthy. So it's not, there's not uh, that much difference. It tends to just be, well, that's not true. I mean, you can't, you, you, can't, you can't be the best performing athlete you can be. Let me change that if you're not healthy. But even then you get guys like Ronaldo coming out with some of the nonsense he talks about. And you've got Djokovic who talks absolute nonsense about yeah. his nutrition protocols and stuff. So these are guys in elite level sport who I don't know where they're getting advice from, but you know, people just want to believe that there's a secret out there and there's something more complex and there's this hidden thing and things are really complex. And actually 90% of nutrition for health, performance, fat loss is really simple. The difficult bit is consistently applying those simple principles. That's the difficult bit, but it's easier to be like, oh, there's this hidden supplement. Or if I do this at this time, or if I time this nutrient now or do this or do that or whatever it might be, that actually somehow we're getting access to some kind of secret. The secret is there is no secret. It's learning five or six key principles and just doing them consistently, figuring out why you're not doing them consistently so that you do them more consistently next time when you stop being consistent. There's a lot of consistency in there. Yeah, and I think I want you to finish on this question as well, um, Amber mentioned, because uh, it's quite like um, important and a lot of members are doing this. So saying if I don't eat early, I don't feel hungry until mm -hmm. lunch. So basically... Yeah, if I eat in the morning, I'll eat my entire macros by lunch. If I don't eat early, I don't feel hungry till lunch and manage macros better. Okay. Alex on Monday said we should eat first thing before workout, though. Alex is recommending this kind of um, drink in the morning, which is basically just coffee and carbs. Um, you know, banana. If you're, not, if, you're not, if you're not hungry, don't eat. Yeah, so what is the as, difference? As, as, the, as the most obvious bit of advice I can give as a human being, if your body's not telling you to do something, don't do it but only under the caveat of something like this. If you find that you don't eat breakfast, then by 11 o'clock, you want to eat loads of chocolate, then maybe try having some breakfast. 
just to see if it helps with mid-morning cravings because there's a difference between not eating because we're in a rush and we're not hungry because we're up and we're anxious and we're stressed rather than not eating because we're not genuinely hungry. Mm. Like there's, there's no right or wrong approach to this. And there is, there is some evidence to suggest that eating more food earlier in the day is beneficial for food regulation, appetite control, because of what I was saying before, because people tend to not eat all day and therefore eating a few more calories in a day, but be your own scientist. Like science only gives us a kind of framework of possibilities, right? It doesn't tell us the exact bit of where you are, but that also requires, that also requires you guys as individuals and me as an individual and Scott as an individual to actually think about what we're doing and say, well, hang on a second, hang on a second. If I've created a narrative where I don't need to have breakfast of the morning, but by 11 o'clock, all I want to do is eat my arm off. Well, then maybe let's just experiment and just try having like just a breakfast, start with a high protein breakfast, then maybe add some carbs to it. You know, like none of this is, none of this is like dogmatic. You know, it's, it's flexible dieting because you're allowed to choose what foods that you want. Right. And, and yeah. with, within reason, but flexible doesn't mean that you can't be flexible with other stuff, your eating timings and all of that kind of thing. Um, and so, and, and so some people might find they do better with a bigger breakfast. Some people find they might do better with a smaller breakfast. I have very, I usually have a coffee of a morning. That's my breakfast and maybe a protein, like a coffee of a morning. That's my breakfast. But I will guarantee you if I don't have breakfast by 10 or 11 o'clock after I've seen my morning clients, particularly the ones that are in super early, like my diet for the rest of the day will be very difficult to keep a lid on in terms of food control and i'm likely to make more poorer food choices for that reason so i'm not suggesting that you should or shouldn't do anything within the within the caveats of the main principle being that you have to elicit a calorie deficit for fat loss how you do that is is up to you guys but what i would say is within that there's just a few very simple principles which is like i said before trying to eat with some regular frequency eating patterns so that you can observe how that has an impact on you rather than just like eating randomly through all times and then wondering why you're getting cravings at certain times. You know, we have to create a stable baseline and it just helps as well. You know, it, it, it does help. Our body does have an internal food regulating clock, which will tell us when it's lunchtime. And there's really cool research that says if you get people to eat earlier, they will still get hungry at the same time, even if it's a couple of hours later, because their body's got this internal regulating system. So if you've got no eating structure, it's not surprising that we want to eat all the time because, you know, bodies know where its next meal's coming from. Um, so I'm not suggesting... Is there, I'm not suggesting, is there any so benefit on. to... So this is really the question people are going to ask after this. Is there any benefit to having a protein, carb, coffee type combination before workout versus not? For, for, any, for anyone in this group, no. Okay. Like so unless, it, unless someone's an athlete, no. Like, yeah. you, you, like if we're thinking about, look, let's look at protein as an example. The biggest determinant on building muscle, for example, is going to be your total amount of protein you consume in the day, whether you do it in five meals, three meals, or one meal, right? Right. That's going to be the biggest determinant is, is the total amount of protein that you consume, not when you consume it, how much you consume it, right? Now, again, if we're talking about athletes, then yeah, of course, I'd want them to have like a protein in and around their workout window, right? But if we're not athletes and it's an inconvenience to you, don't bother with it. The idea of taking carbs to fuel performance, again, for some people, that might be fine. And again, if I've got an athlete going for an early morning run, am I going to try and get them to maybe eat something just to elevate their blood sugar levels ever so slightly? Yeah. But if that's not a priority for them because they're not hungry and they're just trying to do use, lose some body fat... I'm not really bothered about performance. What I'm bothered about is I'm not eating calories. That's not going to have any benefit to them in terms of, um, in terms of their appetite regulation and the rest of the day, particularly if they're going to be quick digestible carbohydrates, which aren't going to make someone full. Right. So maybe some fruit or something like that would be fine. So this is why I'm not a fan of just carpet, of carpet 
like blanket, sorry, carpet, blanket advice of just like do this for breakfast and you should do this for breakfast because it, like, it could just be that someone's adding in an extra 300 calories of a morning that has absolutely no impact on the hunger control, absolutely no impact on the performance. And the fact of the matter is when it comes to carbs, like if you've been sleeping all night, you've not been depleting your carbohydrate stores in your body because you only use them during exercise anyway and a little bit for your brain, which your liver takes care of. So unless you're waking up in the morning and running a marathon, you're probably not, or a half marathon, or doing more than an hour's exercise, you're probably going to be fine. You don't need carbs to go to the gym and lift a few weights. You don't need carbs for a 15 or 20 minute hit workout. You don't. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that that might not make some people feel better. Then if it makes you feel better, do it. But is it essential? No. You know? Um, yeah. That's a you know. great answer to that. Um, question. Thanks, Dr. P. Other questions we haven't answered. I'll get them for next week, but that was good. That was covered a lot of bases. Um, and I think, yeah, hopefully everyone got a lot from that. And for people, if you have got more questions, just I'll do a form on the group and then you can put them in there so we know in advance for next week. Paul, yeah? Yeah, sorry. I'm just reading one of the, the question, the meeting chat questions there as well. I'm talking about that next week. Um, I'm just going I'm, I'm to caveat some with this as well, right? Um, this isn't, and this isn't directed at Alex. So if anyone thinks it is, it's just something that I said before about um, people saying stuff that we should let scare us. If people start talking about hormones and endocrinology and effects on hormones as, as a priority in terms of what you guys should be doing, you need to look at that through a different lens. It's not what a priority is for you. Regulating, for example, cortisol levels for you guys right now and what impacts that might have is something that people in the fitness industry say to give themselves authority because it sounds like they know what they're talking about by talking about endocrinology, Right. That's just when we're talking about red flags for people who are talking nonsense about things, when they start talking about the complexities of, of physiology without caveating it, like it, it makes people worry about things that they don't need to be worried about, worried about. So like is cortisol a hormone in the body? For example, is the question I got asked there? Yes, it is. Is it something that you guys need to worry about lowering its levels of a morning? No. In fact, cortisol is actually a fat burning hormone. So why wouldn't you want cortisol present? But again, that's in isolation as a standalone thing. It doesn't take into the whole organism as well. So please, when you're listening to advice outside of the fitness industry, outside of what we do at Turtle, if they start talking about endocrinology, hormones, all of this stuff, just I'm not suggesting they're wrong. What I'm saying is please just treat it with a air of skepticism until you've got a second opinion of somebody who is actually an endocrinologist or who is actually a physiologist who actually has spent 15 years at university learning this stuff yeah and i think as on, on that point as well alex comes from a performance related background like you were saying earlier paul about like these elite athletes that yeah, so yeah but that's but that's still i'm, I'm gonna use no no, word, no i'm not saying it's that's, a good thing i'm just still, saying no no but the, but that but that's still just not true physiologically no, I know. Like, no, I'm not saying this. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that her advice is going to come from that world, which is, is not necessarily applies to everybody here who just wants to get healthier and lose weight. Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't even apply in the performance world. It's just wrong. Yeah. So, so don't, don't listen to Alex on nutrition. Is the point I'm trying to make here? Because <laughs> because I listened to the last podcast you did in the last 20 minutes. So that was just absolute tosh. Which one? Um, the one that you asked me to have a listen to. Oh, the one from a few weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The last 20 minutes, that was absolute nonsense. She doesn't know what she's talking about. So in that regards, this is what we're trying to, when people on the call on Monday, I was mentioning on Monday, Dr. P is going to have different sides of the coin, which is going to be research-backed, right? 
So like you were saying, be your own scientist. If you are having a carby banana protein shake in the morning and you feel better, then happy days. Do you know what I mean? Live your life. Yeah, happy days. But that's the cool thing about this is like who... How do we balance what we hear from every direction and what the truth is? Like, and this is a kind of what macros is about as well. Like calories, macros, if you just cover that, everything has to sound, really. We'd have to care about all the nitty gritties of other stuff. But that's not what people want to hear because it's so simple. But that's really what Turtle is. Everything else you hear or performance-related stuff from Alex or from other elite type of athletes who have come into Turtle's world will be their experience. And it might work, it might not, but it's not exactly backed by research is the point really to make here um, about the advice given. But, you know, give those things a go if you want. Like me and Paul have done all sorts of bodybuilder type stuff in the day and stuff of it placebo. Like some of it placebo, you think, uh, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm feeling class right now with this thing or that. And uh, yeah, you can get sucked into it deeply when you don't need to, basically. I don't know if uh, Paul's number one diet's been, but Paul's been in th- bodybuilder thongs, I believe. So he's done all sorts of... I've had the, ta- I've had the tan and everything, tan and pose and everything. He's had the tan and pose. Your own scientist, yeah. Be your own uh, scientist, guys. Don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> block dr p from your life guys i'm okay yeah. i'm joking no but that was amazing um we've seen yeah i did one before back in the day um with someone paul knows well mark's advice which was i don't know if it really holds up these days but that yeah, was- i think i think he's i think he's um he's changed his opinion on a lot of stuff which is a good thing right you know to be presented with evidence and be able to change your opinion on stuff is is a positive thing you know i've certainly got things wrong in the past um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, if, if I don't know if a live debate between me and Alex would work, but yeah, I'd, I'd quite happily speak to her about stuff or I'd, I'd talk to her and I'd get her opinions on stuff. I'd quite happily like chat to her about things and try and get a bit more insight into where she's getting her information from because I don't know. <laughs> Wait, this, is a, this is a good um, like example of um, not like a debate what to listen to, but like like you're saying about the authority side of stuff, like what do, what's the balance? Like, this is one thing that um, I think Dr. Emma Ross came before and said to us, like, you know, I think like 4% of research is done on women or some sort of things, I guess. Right. Um, And it's got a lot of catching up to do to maybe prove some things. Like for example, in the bodybuilder world in the eighties and nineties, they were saying stuff that wasn't proven by science. But it's come to be that what they was kind of saying is right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So there might be cases in 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 the female world where there's just not the research done on it. I'm mm. not saying this is Alex specific, but a lot of like female health experts are now saying antidotally, this is what I see. And like you were saying earlier, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but it doesn't mean you should go and just do it. Oh no, yeah, yeah. And that that's it. It's just that, you know, there's a there's a there's a separation between a lack of um a lack of knowledge on research that doesn't exist within a certain population and um, a complete misrepresentation of basic fundamental metabolism and physiology, you know, yeah. which is like scientific fact, regardless of organism, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, sure. right. Folks, I hate, I hate to love you, leave you, but I need to go. Cause I've got another call with a client in like three minutes and I need to hydrate because no rest for the wicked. Um, nice thank you all for be. tuning guys. I'll speak to you all soon. Love you lots. That was brilliant. Nice to have you back. Bye bye.